great it is that we serve a God who does not change. Amen. He's not going to change in any of his character. Is that nothing about God changes? He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Well, we've completed the book of Exodus. Your mic's not working. It's on. Yeah, there we go. All right. Well, we completed the book of Exodus, and we're moving on to the book of Leviticus. Now, there's some books in the Bible which you, you read your Bible, you come to, and you're like, it almost seems like you're going really good, and then you just got stuck in the mud a little bit. Like, oh, man, and, and you know, uh, Ezekiel can be one of those books. Numbers is one of those books, and we're not downgrading, but we're just like, oh, man, you know, how many numbers are we going to have in this book? Well, it's the book of Numbers, so we should expect numbers, right? Uh, Leviticus is one of those books where we just kind of, oh, what am I getting into here? Like it, and it seems hard to understand. The fact is, it is one of the most important theological books in all of Scripture. My task tonight is to give us an overview of Scripture. That's the title, Leviticus, an overview. So I would encourage you to stand with me. We're going to read two, two verses in the book of Leviticus. We're going to read... The beginning verse and the ending verse. The book ends, as it were, but first let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Most of all, we thank you for you, for you are the living word. We thank you that you do not change. We thank you, Lord God, that as we learned this morning, that we're your children. And that will never change. Because as a declaration, it's come from a holy and a just God. Lord, we thank you for the book of Leviticus. Though it may be hard, Lord, to understand. Yet, Lord, it's in your word. You want us to understand it. You desire that we understand it. You gave it to us for our encouragement so that we might have hope because it was written in the past, as Romans says. Father, we ask that you would open our hearts and our minds to the book of Leviticus, that we wouldn't faint along the journey but rather that we would be strengthened, Lord. And if we find ourselves becoming weak-kneed and our arms drooping, that we would strengthen them and we would lift them up and look to you, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the glory that was set before him endured the cross and scorning its shame. For indeed, the book of Leviticus points to that very act of the cross. And so, Lord, we ask that you would help us to treasure it like all other scripture. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Leviticus 1.1 The Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, Leviticus 27.34 These are the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses for the people of Israel on Mount Sinai. It's the word of the Lord. You may be seated. The book ends. The book ends. The Puritan, Andrew Bonner, writes this in his commentary about Leviticus. He says this, There is no book in the whole compass of that inspired volume which the Holy Ghost has given us that contains more of the very words of God than Leviticus. It is God that is the direct speaker in almost every page. His gracious words are recorded in the form wherein they are uttered. This consideration cannot fail to send us to the study of it with singular interest and attention. It is the very words 
of God. All of Scripture are the very words of God. We know that. Kenneth Matthews says this in his commentary, the book of Leviticus is essentially the message that God spoke to his people at the time in preparation for the departure. The teaching of Leviticus was both revelatory and regulatory. Keep those two words in mind, revelatory and regulatory. What we will find in the book of Leviticus as we study is that we will see that 37 different times we will see the phrase, the Lord spoke. I mean, it really is the word. When we read Leviticus, it literally is what God actually said. You know what I mean by that. We know Scripture is inspired word of God. It is the words of God. But Leviticus, it is actually the Lord said, and here's, here's his dialogue. Here is what he said. That's why Andrew Bonner says that it should drive us. We can, this consideration cannot fail to send us to the study of it with singular interest and attention. It is a book that we cannot gloss over. What does Leviticus even mean? What's the title even mean? It literally means of the Levites. It means it's not given to the Levites alone. It's about the Levites, who are the mediators of the covenant uh, between God and man, the priests. But it's a book for us. It's a book for God's people. Then the question would be, why study Leviticus? Why? Well, we've already laid it out. It's God's word. That within it are, 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 are the very words of God should be important to us. Alan Ross, in his commentary, says this, It must be recognized that Leviticus was and is one of the most important books of the Old Testament. It not only presents the entire religious system of ancient Israel, but it also lays the theological foundation for the New Testament teaching about the atoning work of Jesus Christ. You want to understand the cross and why God came and God sent His Son. We need to understand the book of Leviticus. The book of Leviticus informs us of this sacrificial system and all that is required. He goes on to say in his commentary this, For the Christian, then, the exposition must demonstrate how the original meaning of the text fits the wider theological message, which ultimately means how it finds fulfillment or application in the New Testament doctrines of atonement, sanctification, and glorification. In other words, we should see as we study the book of, of Leviticus that we're going to keep going to the New Testament, right? What do they say? That the, old, the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. It speaks to us of the sacrificial system. God gave us the law to point us. God gave us the law to point us to Jesus Christ. It was a guardian, Paul said, in Galatians 3.24. He writes to them, because they were going to go back under the law. They wanted to become law abiders. There's nothing wrong with abiding, but, but to make it their means of salvation. He was warning them. He says, no, don't do that. Paul writes to them, he says, so then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. Leviticus points us to Jesus Christ. There is one singular person of which all of Scripture points to, we know, is Jesus Christ. 
God made a promise to the children of Israel. In Exodus chapter 19, they're in the wilderness. They're at the mountain. They're at Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. And God says this in Exodus 19, verses 5 to 6. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you will be my treasured possession among all people. For all the earth is mine, and you shall to be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. That's what God said. You are my treasured people. If you heed my voice, if you obey my voice, you will be my treasured people. You will be a kingdom and a priest for me. So Leviticus is given to the people of Israel so that they may obey his voice and keep his commandments. Leviticus is given to the people of Israel so that they may obey his voice and keep his commandments. Remember what we said. The teaching of Leviticus was both revelatory and regulatory. There was revelation about who God is, and there was regulations about worshiping God. It revealed who God was and how to approach this God. Remember, there was a time uh, in the children of Israel history when God ascended on the mountain where the people said, we're backing away from God. Moses, you go for us. We're not going to deal with this guy. We need somebody to stand between us and God because we're not going to do it. We can't do it. We can't bear the darkness. We can't bear the thunder. We can't bear the fire. Well, even God himself told the children of Israel at Mount Sinai. He said, make sure you put a boundary around it. Don't you draw near. If you come near to me, you're going to die. You cannot just come into my presence any way you want. What's the message? You have to come in the way in which I prescribe you to come. Remember here again what the children of Israel said in Exodus chapter 20, verses 18 to 21. Now when the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. Well, no kidding, I would be too, right? And they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. They understood something about God and His nature and His holiness. If we, if we go at him, we're going to die. So Moses, you go, because so far you haven't died, right? That's essentially what they're saying to him. God really likes you, Moses. Us, we're not too sure about yet. Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. Isn't that gracious of God? The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. So the people essentially said, hey, we're backing off. Moses, you go. You stand between us and God. What's amazing about the book of Leviticus is that it's actually a book in which God is now telling the people. Leviticus is a book in which the God, God is telling the people of Israel, this is how you draw near to me. 
They didn't want to draw near to God. And now God in the book of Leviticus says, no, this is how you draw near to me. God wants the children of Israel to draw near to him. You will be to me a kingdom and a priest, a kingdom of priests. Draw near to me. Do not stand far off. Come near to me. But this is how you have to do it. You cannot do it in any other way. You will see in the book of Leviticus that Aaron's sons went to God in their own way with what is called strange fire. It didn't go well. God incinerated them right there in front of the altar. They didn't last. They went their own way. God says, this is how you come to me. It was gracious of God to give these laws to the children of Israel who were afraid to come near to God. And he's saying, no, I want you come near, come near, but this is how. If you didn't get one, get one on the way out. We uh, have an outline of the book of Leviticus. We're gonna, I'll give you the brief outline. This is sort of what the outline we're going to use for the book of, of Leviticus. Don't hold us to it exactly. Um, but the general outline, again, this is just an introduction to Leviticus. This is just an overview uh, of Leviticus. You'll see that point one says, uh, offer yourselves in praise and adoration to God. In verses 1, 1 to chapter 7, verse 38. Consecrate the priest to mediate between God and the people from chapter 8 to chapter 10. Purify yourselves before God, 11, 1 to 16, 34. Present yourself in holiness before God, 17, 1 to 26, 46. That's the entire book. And there's a lot of subpoints in between those that you'll see in that outline. Offer proper, proper worship before God, 27, 1 to 34. So I left out one. See that? I already made a mistake. That's a general outline of the book of Leviticus. But if there was one word, if I were to take one word, say, what is one word, sum up the book of Leviticus in one word, that word would be holiness. Holiness. This is what um, Alan Ross writes in his commentary about holiness being the pervading theme of Leviticus. He says that for chapters 1 to 7, it says the rituals of the sacrifice explained how the people, in spite of sin and defilement, could maintain their relationship with the Holy Lord. In chapters 8 to 10, it says that the law of the consecrated priesthood clarified the way all approaches to God could be mediated. In chapters 11 to 16, the instructions on purity taught how the Holiness of God required cleansing and purification from the contamination of this life. Isn't that a great way to put it? From the contamination of this life. In 17 to the end of the book, he says, The exhortation to holiness showed how every aspect of the life of the covenant people had to be set apart to God. Every part of their life was to be set apart for God. How they got up in the morning was to be to the Lord. How they collected manna was to be set apart to the Lord. How they got their quail was to be set apart to the Lord. How they collected firewood was to be set apart for the Lord. Because there's a guy who collected firewood in a way that God said not to, and it cost him his life. 
God cared about every aspect of their life. It's a book about holiness. We, as God's children, are told to be holy. To strive for holiness. In Hebrews 12, 14, we read this. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. The great thing about God is that He gives us His holiness. If He didn't impart to you and me holiness, we would never see the Lord. By God's goodness, by God's grace, of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on our behalf, we are granted entrance into God's presence. That's what Leviticus is all about. Here's You want to come to God's presence? Here's the sacrifice. Here's the ritual before the sacrifice, and here's the sacrifice. Here's what you do to be accepted by me so that you and I can have a relationship so that we can be in covenant together. It, it really reminds me of, of what we talked about this morning. See, the children of Israel were given a promise by God that they would be His treasured people, and, 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 and Leviticus, for them, points to a future Messiah. A future Redeemer is going to come. So they had, in, in many ways, the same hope that we have. They were looking forward to one who was going to redeem Israel, that the sacrificial system would be done away with. We no longer have to come with bulls and blood of goats and all of those things, but there'll be one who will come, will do away with us, who make us right with God. They were looking forward to that. We actually have the one who came and did that. We have the Lord Jesus Christ who has come on our behalf. They were looking forward to the future hope of a Messiah. We're looking forward to the future return of Jesus Christ. And as they were looking forward to the Messiah to come, God told them, purify yourself. Have this hope in you and purify yourself. Be a pure people for when the Messiah comes, you need to be ready. So it is with us. When Jesus comes, we need to be ready. What did we read this morning in 1 John 3, 2-3? Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. It's essentially what God was saying to the children of Israel. You are my people. I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to bring you into a land. I'm going to give you all the blessings and promises that, that were given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are going to be yours. I'm going to do this, but you need to be holy. And since you can't be holy on your own, here's how I make you holy. Through this sacrificial system, it points to the one who is going to come. And we have the same hope. We've been sanctified. We've been made holy through Jesus Christ. We, in this side of heaven, need to also strive to purify ourselves. Thanks be to God. It's not through bulls and goats. Imagine, would you come here if there was a big altar here and I was out there with a knife slicing the animals' throats? Would, would that make you, in, oh, that's a place I want to show up to. No, of course not. 
Because we have the perfect sacrifice already, the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we'll see in our study of Leviticus, and we're done because that's, that's my overview. It points to Jesus, the great sacrifice. The Bible tells us this, that when Jesus returns, it is not to deal with sin. Why? He already dealt with it at the cross. When Jesus returns, it's to bring his people into their homeland, our true home, heaven. They were looking forward to their home that God would bring them into as a holy people. We are to be God's holy people. I, you're gonna, if, if we choose to, we're going to be blessed in our study of Leviticus. May it seem hard at times. May it seem academic at times. Yes, it may. But you know what? The Bible calls us to think. The Bible calls us to use our mind. Christianity is above all else, what? A thinking religion. A thinking religion. And we will be caused to scrutinize and look at and say, wow, what a great God we have because he's provided the ultimate sacrifice for us. I hope you'll be blessed. I'm sure you will. It's God's word. How can we not be? Well, let's pray and we'll sing a song. A little early, but that's okay. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given us a book that instructs us in holiness, that tells us about your nature and your character and the demands that you have. Lord, we thank you that those demands for us, for all of your children, have been met in Jesus Christ. That The great sacrifice has been made. That there is no more need for the blood of bulls or goats. But Jesus Christ himself has offered himself once for all and so that we can come boldly into the throne of grace, that we have access to a holy, righteous, and just God because you've made us right. You've justified us in Christ Jesus. And Father, we look forward to the day in which nothing, absolutely nothing, will stand between us and your holiness. Come quickly, Lord. Bless us in our study of Leviticus. We ask it for the glory of Christ. Amen and amen. I don't think we can do Leviticus without doing Take My Life and Let It Be Consecrated. So 597. We'll do one, two, and five and six. All right. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days. Let them flow in ceaseless praise. Let them flow in ceaseless praise to take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. 
swift and beautiful for thee. Five. Take my love, my Lord, I pour at thy feet its treasure store. Take myself and I will be ever only all for thee, ever only all for thee. Take my will and make it thine, it shall be no longer mine. Take my heart, it is thine own, it shall be thy royal throne, it shall be thy royal throne. And why do we need to be consecrated? Because we serve a holy Lord and we are not holy, only holy through the blood of Christ. But we will sing holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, three. All right, and we will do all four of this. All right. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, early in the morning our song shall rise to thee. Holy, 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 merciful and mighty, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. Holy, 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 all the saints adore thee, casting down their golden crowns around the glassy sea. Cherubim and seraphim falling down before thee, which word and art and evermore shall be. Holy, 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 though the darkness hide thee, though the eye of sinful men thy glory may not see only thou art holy there is none beside thee perfect and power in love and purity Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, all thy works shall praise thy name in earth and sky and sea. Holy, 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 merciful and mighty, 
mighty God in three persons, blessed Trinity and doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen.